Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Sports Section Morning Show, episode 15. Episode 15, man. We got a lot to talk about today. We got Tim Anderson. We, man, we talking about a lot of boxing and fighting too, man. What the hell is going on? We got Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez, that fight. We got a lot of Leo Messi to talk about. MLS, they had a big comeback against FC Dallas last night. They were down, I think they were down two to four. And Messi brought him back from the dead. Insane. Crazy free kick goal that he scored. Then, of course, he converted his penalty in PKs. We're going to talk about, about the Angels. The Angels and the Angels and not uh, them with their decision to not trade Otani at the deadline. They ain't won a game since. We talked about it before at the deadline, but it's good to, to rehash that now at a, at a good time. They ain't won a damn game. Talk Arsenal. And then we'll finish up with some Nashville SC. Nashville SC. Let's get this thing started. Monday, man, we getting started. A couple more days close to Titans. We got five weeks, I think. Four or five weeks till the season starts. Let's get it, man. And I'll do it again. Let's get it. The Sports Section Morning Show. I know you heard of B. Will. You are listening to TFTV Sports. All right, let's get it. Let's get it. I got something I want to play y'all real quick. I got something I want to play y'all, man. I got something I want to play y'all. Some gold. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and in to score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Left. Huh, huh. And it's funny how the umpire gets out the way, bro. Anderson throws it right. Bam. Knocked out. <laughs> Down goes Henderson. Down goes Henderson. And this crazy dude. This crazy dude, Tim Henderson, man, he decides to tweet last night. I guess he finally got his bearings back talking about uh, y'all must not know who the fuck I am or y'all, y'all done got me fucked. He said, y'all got me fucked up. Nah, you got yourself fucked up, bro. You got yourself fucked up. That shit is crazy. Hold on. That shit is insane. This dude. So I don't even know what it really started from. So it was a hustle double by Jose Ramirez, right? He hits the ball down the right field line. He's hustling, trying to get a double. And the guy, he slides in head first. Tim Anderson's not even really blocking the bag. He's got his his legs paused. He's got his legs spread around the bag. So Jose Ramirez just slides right under him. But from there, they get some, they get the jaw jacking. Next thing, and they cut the camera to home plate because they want to see the guy score, right? They get the jaw jacking. Uh, Jose Ramirez puts his finger in Tim Anderson's face. That's a no-no. You can't do that to no man, bro. You put your man, you put your your finger, your hand in somebody's face, bro. That's fight. That's 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 like the the worst of the worst you could do. Besides spit on somebody, that's the worst of the worst that you can do. And they do that. Henderson gets pissed, or Anderson gets pissed, starts stripping his his glove off and his wristbands off and shit, and squares up with him like he's Deontay Wilder. I thought he had some in him. I thought he had some in his bag. The way he squared up with him, looked like he had a he had his, his hands up real good, little a little orthodox right here, just like that. 
He looked like he was finna do something. But what he didn't, Jose Ramirez from the DR. I mean, it's a different level of trenches down there. I don't know if he's from the trenches down there, but if he is, it's a different level of trenches than it is here. This man, Tim Anderson, tried to throw a oh, right over, misses. Well, I think he might have grazed him at the he he grazed Jose Ramirez. Jose ducks down, then he comes up. He comes up like Bud Crawford. Hits him with a right over, squares. He squares him on his damn, not even on his chin, on his cheek right here. And Tim Anderson falls out backwards, knocked out. Knocked out. Fucking, that's one of the great, one of the best fights I have seen. That's better than the Odor fight, in my opinion. Because Bautista didn't really fall. But with Odor, I mean, he squared him up better than Tim Anderson got squared up. But Bautista held his ground a little bit. He stumbled back a little bit. But he didn't get knocked out falling back like Tim Anderson did. This dude, Tim Anderson, was down for the count. And then when he got up, he was still stumbling off. Looked like he had a concussion. Dude, chin weaker than glass. All that stuff he was talking. I guess it's because he's stressed out. He got two or three families he got to take care of. I don't know what it is. This man here, weak-ass chin. But uh, he he didn't start the next day. Jose Ramirez was in a lineup the next day. I think Tim Anderson, fought, like like I said in the beginning, when he finally got his bearings last night is when he tweeted, y'all got me fucked up. Nah, bro, you got yourself fucked up. <laughs> you got your, yourself fucked up. Hold on. Got yourself fucked up. Now look at you. Now look at you. Shit is crazy, man. But... That's probably one of the best, the best baseball fights that I've seen in my like in my lifetime. Of course, back in the 80s and 90s, it was a different breed back then, bro. Them dudes, them dudes were scrapping. Like Nolan Ryan dude coming up to him. He puts him in a headlock, pounding his hand, pounding his head like that. You know, it's just it was different back then. And the footage was all grainy and shit. This wasn't no grainy footage. This man, Tim Anderson, got knocked out in 4K. Knocked out in 4K. Then he gonna tweet. Hey, get the Twitter fingers talking about y'all got me fucked up. Nah, man, look in the mirror, fam. Look at that, look at that swollen face you got, fam, and that concussion that you had for falling back in your head. That's who, that's who you got fucked up. But man, what a, what a fight, man. What a fight. Y'all let me know in the comments what y'all think about that Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez fight, man. One of the best ones I've seen. One of the best ones I've seen. All right. Let me see. This might be a quick show too. I got some. I got shit. I got. You know, we got nine to five jobs here. I gotta. I actually gotta do some work this morning. But uh, back to the Angels. So on to the Angels. On to the Angels. So we had a big discussion on here. I had an Angels fan call in. Good buddy of mine is win now mode. You know they they're making the right moves. Fuck the farm system. They not worried about the farm system. They already last. They can't develop people. So they just traded even more prospects away for Giolito, who got rocked his first his first uh, outing, by the way. In the meantime, since the trade deadline, I think it was on July 31st, end of July. Guess how many games Angels won? Zilch. Zero. Settle. Nothing. Nada. Zero games. Six games slide. Seven games back at a wild card. They done broke Otani. Otani's crying after games and shit now. The, the big, big Otani. Crying after games. Angels are in the mud. And it just looks like a terrible decision. And I know hindsight's 2020. But my vision was 2020 before the before the trade deadline. And I went alone. It was a lot of others. You're not gonna win. Angels, you are not going to win a thing this year. 
And you might not win another series for the rest of the rest of the year, if we're being honest, because the schedule ain't easy for the Angels. Let me, let me pull up the Angels schedule. They might very well might not win another series in the, for the rest of the year. I promise you. Let me see. Angels schedule. So they got a tough schedule. They got the Giants. Excuse me. They start with the Giants. Then they got the Astros, the Rangers, Rays. Reds and Mets and then the Phillies. That's just around out August. Let me let me go for the rest of September. They might take they won't take more than three series. I'll tell you that. I guarantee that. I guarantee the Angels will not take more than three series after the uh after the trade deadline for the rest of the year. Just out of foolishness for not trading away Otani and cashing in on some prospects. That was just some foolish ass shit that they did. They got the athletics, then the Orioles, Guardians. Mariners again, Detroit. They got they've had Detroit's number. Tampa Bay, Minnesota, Texas, and then they end up with the A's at the end of September. So they're already seven games back of the wild card. That shit ain't happening. It's over with for that. And then they don't have the easiest schedules coming up. And they've had, you know, they've been battling injuries a little bit. So, you know, the Angels are in a pretty big, pretty jacked up predicament, but this is what they wanted. You know, this is what they fans wanted. This is what they owner wanted. I can't say the front office wanted it because if I was a front office, I would be thinking a little logical and I wouldn't be tied to tied to the emotional effect of having Otani and Trout. Honestly, if I was the Angels, I would get rid of the both of them and try and start over because it's, it's just there's no point in having both of them. You ain't going to do shit. You ain't even making the playoffs with them. Cash in with them and try and set this franchise straight. It just didn't work. You had two of the best players all time and it didn't work for you. That's indicative on the organization. But after I were to trade the two of them, I would can everybody in the damn organization starting with the owner, but that's not feasible. They need to get rid of the owner first. You know, he's uh, apparently there's been talks of him selling the team. He needs to have that shit sold. And he's trying to, he was trying to have it sold while he had Otani to sort of inflate the value of it, but that ain't going to happen. Otani ain't coming back. Trout is still there, so he's not going to let go of Trout. But, you know, he... He needs to get gone. He needs to get gone. They should have cashed in on Otani. They need to cash in on Trout, try and get as many prospects as possible. But you can't even cash in on Trout this offseason because his value is at the lowest it's been in his whole career. So you can't even do that this year. That would be something that would have to be done next year at the at next year's trade deadline. But Trout's contract, I don't know how much longer Trout's contract is. So the Angels is just it's just poorly run. There's no foresight. And it seems like there's no vision in the organization. It's all hopium. Like, it's all hopium. Oh, we might be able to re-sign Otani. But yeah, you re-sign Otani and you have Trout coming back healthy. He's not healthy for a whole year. He hasn't been for a couple of years. Then what? You know, what What do you do What do you do then as an Angels fan? Or as, a, as an Angels organization? Let alone the fans. I feel bad for the fans. But what do you do as an organization when you have, you, you have had, the two of the best players in baseball, undoubtedly. I mean, top five without a doubt, and haven't made the playoffs number once since Trout's been there. Period, and none with Otani. We ain't even seen Otani in the playoffs. The MLB has to be heated. I know I'm heated as a fan. I want to see. I want to see Otani in the playoffs. I ain't been able to see him in October. Hell, he's he's back. He's flew back to Japan by then. I ain't even seen him yet. Yeah, I don't even know what he. Sh- he ain't even played a lick of baseball in, in sub-50-degree weather yet. I ain't seen it. 
I ain't seen it. It's crazy. And he ain't got nobody to blame but the owner of the Angels and the management of the Angels who, of course, report to the owner. And there's no telling how much how much power the owner has and what he says over player personnel. But both of them are equally responsible in the detriment and detrimental franchise that is the LA Angels. It's just terrible. It's terrible. So you broke Otani. He's sitting here crying after games and shit now. And the, the way they lost that, the way they lost that particular game was insane. Down two four, or up two four, going into the final inning, give up a three run bomb that goes up probably about four five rows up into the stands, and then ended up losing. Just just crazy, man. Just crazy. I know they haven't had the best luck of injuries, but they've signed these veteran guys that just ain't panned out. I mean, you think you think of Rendon. Um, there's many of them. Rendon. I mean, you could say it's arguable. Arguably, if Hamilton panned out when he went back to L.A., he he paid. I mean, he played decent, but it wasn't Josh Hamilton of old. Uh, they traded for Syndergaard. He was decent. I mean, there's a couple. There's pivotal signings and trades that the Angels have made that just have not panned out for him. Rendon being the latest. And it's just it's just terrible. It's terrible. But y'all let me know in the comments what y'all think about Otani. Where do y'all think Otani's going to go? I think he's going to L.A. and not the Angels. And uh, what do y'all think about the Angels in their season so far after the trade deadline, not winning anything after the trade deadline, if they went out on a limb and said, we're buyers? Well, nah, y'all are losers now. Y'all are losers, not buyers. Y'all are losers after the deadline. Y'all let me know in the comments. Y'all call in if if y'all want to call in. Y'all want to talk about Angels, talk about Arsenal, talk about Nashville SC, talk about the big fight, Tim Anderson. And Jose Ramirez, 931-603-1476. Make sure y'all subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Twitch. We appreciate all the support. All right. All right. So Arsenal, we're going to talk Arsenal. Probably a, a, a good size, good size, good deep dive size talk about Arsenal. We'll start off with Matt Turner, U.S. Men's National Team keeper. Matt Turner looks like he's finalizing a move between Nottingham, Nottingham Forest. I almost said Nottingham Horst. <laughs> and you know, I don't know what they got over there in Nottingham, Nottingham City or wherever the hell it's called. But Nottingham Forest and Arsenal have agreed on the transfer for Matt Turner. The fee has been rumored to be around seven million pounds. I'm not a fan of that that fee. Uh, it was it's supposed to. I was under the impression from what I heard and seen on Twitter that the fee was going to be closer to around twelve to thirteen million pounds. This is damn near half of that. So Nottingham Forest, once again, Arsenal are not selling the way they are supposed to be selling. And for all, all we know, you know, the figures that could be getting leaked to the to the press, this is something that people don't think about. What good is it if for fan? Well, I guess it's it's a two-folded thing. So Arsenal, if they leak to to your Ornsteins and your journalists that are pretty connected to the club, if they leak to to these journalists fees lower than what they're actually receiving that helps them in the short term with when they're trying to buy players and people don't or other clubs don't think they have as much money but in the long term it creates this perception among the fans among the teams or the clubs around europe and around the world really because it's a global market now that arsenal cannot sell players so it's a double edge it's it's sort of a catch-22 there with with what uh what they got going on at arsenal i'm not entirely sure if that if that's what they're doing, because all the whole week 
two, three weeks prior to this move, when even when it first came up, the, the saying was Arsenal were looking for around 15 million pounds. They were trying to make a, a good size profit. They bought them for around five or six million pounds. They're trying to make nine, 10 million after a year. Good bit of business, a good profit off a transfer of a good player. But now the figure is coming out saying it's six or seven million and they had just bought them for five. So it just it doesn't make sense. Damn, I'm muted the wrong mic. God damn. But they uh it just it doesn't make sense for for them to be buying Matt Turner, who has performed well and is a starting keeper at the international level for the US men's national team. They buy him for five million pounds from the MLS, take a risk, play him, and he performs well, does extremely well this year, and then only make a million or two million pound profit on him. That doesn't make sense. So that's my little theory. Because he's under he's undergoing his medical today with Nottingham Forest. So that move is wrapped up as long as he passes the medical. But I definitely expected Arsenal to be making much more of a profit on Matt Turner. He's a good keeper. And he performed well, barring the first couple, you know, the preseason games. That was just an acclimation period for him. But he's performed and improved a bunch since he got on with Arsenal. I mean, a ton. It's night and day, the keeper he is, from when he came over from the MLS to uh, to Arsenal. I mean, he's gotten better with his feet. And he was always a pretty decent shot stopper. He's developed a reputation as somewhat of a, a penalty specialist. I mean, the guy, the guy has improved his all-around game at the age of 29, which isn't that old for a keeper. You know, that's that's considered the prime for a goalkeeper. So Nottingham Forest are finding a way to buy a prime goalkeeper, international keeper, from another Premier League club for 7 million pounds. That's just terrible business by Arsenal, man. Once again, if that's if that fee is actually true, terrible business by Arsenal. You know, I... It just doesn't make sense to me why they would leak low figures if that's what they're really doing. I mean, of course, it'll help in the short term, but it's going to it's not going to work in the long term, you know. But if you think about it. So here's another way to think about it. Arsenal buy a lot more than they sell. And when they sell, it hasn't really they don't really sell their best. They're not at the point. They're not like the Arsenal. O where they sell their best players. I wouldn't say they're a selling club anymore. They're not. They've they've beat that. They've beat that allegation. It took 20 years. Damn near. They've beat that allegation. They're mostly buying, you know, the top talents around the world, even in Brazil and all uh, all the top five and even not the top five. They went to Mudrick and tried to get to Mudrick top five leagues of around Europe. They're trying to develop a, a reputation on the market as shrewd buyers uh, having standards not like United having standards when it comes to negotiations and not going past a certain point. If they say they're not going to go, go over a certain, uh, you know, pound figure, they're not going to go over it and leaking low figures to the media of your players that you sell feeds into that a little bit, that you don't have as much money as people think you have. And when you're buying a lot more than you're selling, you're going to make more money when you're operating like that on each buy than you would on each sale because they're only selling, you know, maybe this is going to be, this is supposed to have been a big, a big trend, a big summer for sales, but it's, and even then it's only going to be probably about five or six players. They've bought five or six. So your margins that you would make arsenal, 
that they would make in negotiations from being better buyers than sellers are way higher on the buying side, just because they're going to buy more. And when they buy, it's normally going to be for a higher fee. So by them, that's, that's one way it would make sense by them leaking lower figures and just seeding, seeding the reputation of good sellers. Cause you sort of can't have both unless you're, you know, it's only a few clubs in the world that have that reputation of being, you know, shrewd, shrewd in the marketplace buying, but absolutely great negotiator, negotiator selling. And, and, uh, Brighton is one to think of, at least in England. Of course they have Dortmund is, is another one to think of, but that is from years and years of success in the, in the transfer market. And Arsenal just hasn't had that. We've had a couple, we've had three or four, three or four decent summers since, uh, you know, Edu and co took, took over Edu and Arteta took over three, three decent summers. So it takes time to develop that reputation. But I, I think if that's what they're doing, I think that's probably a better move than, than trying to make it all back in one lick on sales, make it back over a bunch of different buys than trying to make it all back in one sale. Like Bolligan, they're probably going to have to drop their, drop their price for the Bolligan. This man Bolligan is sitting here, Posting on his story, back-to-back things about Inter Milan. They said a, sh- a shit about Arsenal. He posts something about R9 in the Inter Milan jersey. T- takes, a, takes a picture of his TV, puts it on Instagram. And then he, uh, you know, says happy birthday to, I forget the, the fellow's name on Inter Milan. How do you even know this guy? <laughs> he's not American. How do you know this guy? I mean, it's just, and he's in an Inter Milan shirt when he did it. So it's just the petty shit like that. Are Bolligan's ready, ready to go from Arsenal? I don't think I can't say that he was given a chance to fight for his spot because I don't know. Nobody knows about the conversation that he and Arteta had. So maybe Arteta said, you know, I don't have a place for you. I don't have any plans for you. We've got Nketiah. We've got Jesus. We got Havers has come in. Our nine, our striker role is full. You know, we, we need you to find a move. And he's frustrated that Arsenal have priced him out of a move somewhat. Arsenal are going to get rid of him. They're not going to keep him. You know, it's just hardball between the clubs. But what he can't do is go on, go on a story and post dumb shit like that. That's what ruins and burns your bridges with the club, burns your bridges with the fans. You know, you're already, Bolligan's already developing a, a, an attitude. And which strikers have to have this, I ain't gonna lie. It's not, I'm not saying it's really bad. And I'm not saying it's really good. But he's already developing a, like, I can't say a, an attitude. But I can't even say a mantra, a reputation as a prima donna. You know, he 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 comes in with Arsenal. He's he's doing all the media runs and all that shit. And I think Arteta Arteta was was really coy with what he did on the American tour with this. And I'll get to that. But he comes into Arsenal. He's you know Captain America. He's doing a whole bunch of press runs. He's doing a whole bunch of social media shit, wearing Yankees gear. And he's eating all that shit up. You know, he, he probably don't think his shit stinks. And that's good for a striker to have that level of arrogance because strikers of all positions need that level of arrogance. But it's one thing to be that arrogant full time. And it's one thing to be that arrogant on the field. You know, you, you've got great strikers who are arrogant on the field, but ain't arrogant all the time. You can't let this shit go to your head. And that's what it was going to look like. It was going to Bolligan's head. But Arteta, he was really coy with what he did. So he takes him on the he takes him on the tour with him which he didn't have to do. He didn't take Tavares. He didn't take Lakonga. I mean, of course, Bolligan had better years than all of them, but he didn't have to take them, you know. He takes them on the tour to his home country, and I don't think Bolligan plays over 30 minutes in the whole tour. 
you know, Balian probably thought that. And I thought I've said on this, I said on the show before, they're bringing them on there to pimp them out to the American fan base, sell a bunch of Balian jerseys, and then sell them off to Inter Milan or whoever they're going to sell them off. Arteta didn't play any of that shit. He didn't even play Balian. You know, they they tried to say that Balligan had an injury towards the end, and he didn't have no fucking injury. He ain't done nothing. They, Arteta was coy. Very coy. And, you know, Balligan sat on the bench for the whole American tour. Wasn't really no, no you know, press shit on Instagram. He wasn't really doing much. He had the, the odd uh, press conference and all that. But Arteta, Arteta really tried, I think he tried to humble him a little bit. I think he did on his way out. So Arteta's always playing like four or five D chess, man. You got to watch Arteta. But he sort of humbled Bolligan, and I hope they put in a buyback clause for Bolligan because I think he'll be a special player. Either either a buyback clause or a really hefty sell-on clause to whoever they sell him to. And it, it seems like uh, they've got, according to Romano, they've got talk scheduled with Inter Milan for him, and Inter Milan are only trying to offer 30, 35 million euros. Arsenal want 45 to 50 million pounds. That's a big difference. I'm talking 15, 20 million, 15 or 20 million pounds slash euro difference in valuation that the two clubs have. I'd imagine it gets done. Hopefully another Premier League club comes in to where it's not just us negotiating with Inter Milan and sort of drive his price to back up to where we anticipated in early, where we anticipated it being early in the summer. So that's the that's what I'm hoping with the Bollingen situation. Of course, Matt Turner has his medical schedule later today. Arsenal's replacement, David Raya, was supposedly at the Community Shield game yesterday. That's, I saw a picture of what looked like him. He had a hood on. I couldn't really tell if it was him, but it was next to another Brighton or Brentford player. So that move looks like it's about 95% done. I bet you it gets announced either today or tomorrow. Hell, it might even be announced by the time I'm recording, done recording the show. But that'll be an excellent pickup for Arsenal, and I'd love to see what David Raya does with the competition that he had, gives Ramsdale. Even the rumor of a transfer has Ramsdale playing out of his fucking mind. The guy's saving penalties. He ain't saved penalties. He ain't saved a penalty before the last penalty he saved. Not the one yesterday, but the, the one before. He ain't saved a penalty in seemed like a year. In his whole Arsenal career, he ain't actually physically saved a penalty. Guys have missed penalties against him, but he ain't saved one. And now, man, this guy saved two penalties. He played extremely well yesterday against Manchester City. Kept us in a minute. Kept us in a fixture because City were 1-0 up. Foden had a one-on-one, uh, one-on-one opportunity against Ramsdale. Ramsdale saved it with his boot. With his right leg. And that kept us in the game. If Foden puts that away, that game's over. Manchester City's, Manchester City's winning the Community Shield. But Aaron Ramsdale kept us in the match. Good, just decent. I can't say good. Well, I can say good. It was good distribution. His distribution was pretty good yesterday. Of course, it could have been better. And that's where Raya is isn't, uh, probably a, a better keeper than him, in my opinion. But good distribution on Ramsdale. Shot stopping. Shot stopping was excellent. He had another. He had a really close save. With Ruben Diaz, yeah, I think it was Ruben Diaz, or who was it? It was somebody. There was a short, it was a corner. They played it short in front of the front of Havers being the front man. Or it was Rodri. Rodri. Rodri peeks around Hazard, flicks the header on, and Aaron gets to it at his near post. Really fast, really instinctive save that Ramsdale had there. And it was a goal if if Ramsdale's not there. So Ramsdale played really well yesterday. Shot stopping was what we expected to be for him. 
It was where we expected he wasn't getting beat on his near post like he like he has in the past and get beat by, you know, cheating on free kicks and shit. Very good game by Aaron Ramsdale and very good game by Arsenal. You know, and it took in the first 30 minutes, you know, Manchester City, they were just keeping the ball. They were keeping a lot of possession, but they weren't doing anything with the possession. They were just passing around. Arsenal was in a nasty mid block. Uh, Manchester City was just passing around the back line. They would penetrate, break a line or two in the midfield, and then pass it right back. They really didn't do much in those first 25 minutes, and Arsenal had the better chances. Havertz had two chances fall to him in the first half. He should have converted one of them, I'd say, but, I mean, shit doesn't happen. He was unlucky not to do it. You know, what kills me is, and that's the thing with these big, big media commentators, your ESPNs and Sky Sports. Well, Sky Sports is a lot better soccer-wise commentary with the Premier League. But your ESPNs, your Foxes, these commentators, man, they and I know it's hard. So since I've got into this, since I've got TFTV, I realize how hard it is talking and commentating live. But these guys are just negligent sometimes. Just negligent. This guy that was commentating for ESPN, I don't even know his name, during an Arsenal game, talks literally five or ten minutes before Havertz misses his two chances. He talks about how Holland... And I think Darwin Nunez missed the most big chances across the Premier League. And then shits on Havertz for missing two chances. One of them was a big chance. The other one wasn't even, it was a half chance. Shits on Havertz. I'm like, oh, that's why he can't perform as a nine. Strikers miss chances. They just do. Holland missed the most chances in the league last year. That's just what happens. You know, it's, and Havertz, it's going to come from everything else. Everything else about yesterday and about his performance was excellent. He held the ball up well. He was an outlet for Arsenal to play over the top when Ar- when uh, Manchester City's press was really on because they've got a they had a really good press set up. Ramsdale was just able to play over the top to Havertz. Havertz would cushion the ball down and play it off to Saka or Martinelli or, or Odegaard or somebody. You know Havertz he played extremely well, and I don't think Eddie could have done better than what Havertz done. Yeah, Eddie's a little more flashy. And when Eddie came on, he was, you know, he did well, but he was coming up against tired legs. So he was supposed to do that. And I'm a, I'm a decent, decent sized Eddie Nketiah fan, but I don't think he's that guy. I think he needs to be sold. Him and Balligan need to be sold and bring in a striker. But Havertz played extremely well, everything leading up to, to his missed chances. You know, he, he, he was really good interpreting the space and behind. Well, he he could have done that a little bit more, but he was really good dropping into the pockets, being a, a an extra man in the midfield, being an outlet over the top for Ramsdale, and he won he won a bunch of his duels. He he had a couple defensive duels that he won, and his aerial duels he was pretty decent in. That's what Arsenal brought him in for is these tough games where we don't get pinned back by Manchester City and pinned back by Liverpool, pinned back by Newcastle with these teams that have really good presses. We can just play over the top to a tall striker like Havertz, and we're out. You know, that's what that's what Arteta has brought him in for, and that's what I'm excited to see with a bigger striker. That's why the links to that Arteta have wanted a bigger striker have been substantiated with with Havertz and how he's come in, and also the links further. We haven't been leaked with the leaked linked. We haven't been linked with a smaller striker in stature. In sh- well, Felix is one, but that's he'll come in and play as an attacking midfielder, I think. Or he'll be a, a backup striker like Trossard. But the big the, the links have been to bigger strikers like Osimhen, Vlaovic, strikers of that nature. Ferguson, 
you know, bigger, bigger bodied strikers that allow us to be for them to be an outlet and allow us for us to get out when we're getting pinned back and getting pressed. So it's really important, really important that we have a striker like that. And I'm excited to see what Havertz does this season in the nine. I don't want to see him in midfield. I want to see him playing as a striker. But other than that, you know, it was a, you know, Manchester City, they scored a, it was a good goal by Cole Palmer. Foden was exceptional. He was getting pressed by Partey in his own half, spins Partey, runs down the pitch, passes it to, I want to say Kevin DeBrano, who lays it off to Cole Palmer. Cole Palmer puts it top bends in the upper left corner. So motherfucker outside with his motorcycle. But, uh, it was a, I mean, it was an excellent goal. Well worked by City. It was just one man got beat, and he couldn't. Partey couldn't foul him because he was already on a yellow card for kicking the ball away. So that that's another thing we're gonna have to look at. Arsenal have to look at, and you know, minimizing those stupid yellow cards for the new rule changes with you know kicking the ball away and the other new shit. Arteta even got a stupid yellow card with going like that. You know, it's, it's just things you got to work on. Arteta alluded to that in his press conference. Rodgers should have had a yellow card for a bunch of fouls leading up to it anyway. So, and, you know, the referees, they just, Rodgers gets away with murder every game. He does tactical fouls left and right, never gets penalized for it. You know, it's it's beginning to be ridiculous with what the referees are, the leeway that Rodgers getting for Manchester City and, and the tactical fouls. And it's not limited to the Premier League. You know, he does it in the Champions League also. It's a big part of how City play is Rodgers committing tactical fouls when teams are out. And they beat that first and second line of the press. You know, it needs to be looked at by the FA and it needs to be looked at by the referees in UEFA, UEFA across the board, not just Manchester City, but Manchester City are the world's worst at it. And they benefit the most from it. You know, it just needs to be looked at, man. It's bullshit what happened because, you know, Partey got a yellow card for kicking the ball away. But Rodri can commit three or four tactical fouls and it's not even doesn't even bad eye. He just runs right past the referee and the referee's like, oh, good foul. Like, come on, man. Dumb shit. Yeah, so Arsenal, they they come on in the second half. They play extremely well in the second half. They have a little bit more of the ball, and they get a good break with the Trossard. Oh, well, an Akanji own goal. I don't know if they gave the, the goal to Trossard or not, but Trossard gets a, gets a ball from soccer from a corner, fakes a cross on his right, comes back on his left, hits it with his laces. Akanji turns and hits Akanji, takes a wicked deflection and goes on the goal, ties the game up 1-1, and then we go to penalties. And Arsenal went on penalties. Kevin DeBrano with a, a hatred, just a hatred-filled penalty against Arsenal. Hits the hits the goalpost. The motherfucker almost goes back to the halfway line. And then, of course, Rodri, that fucking, that punk, misses a penalty. Just a terrible penalty that he took. Ramsdale saved. Ramsdale's second save penalty in I don't know how long. So, you know, it's, it's a big win. Big win for Arsenal and the mentality of the club and the mentality of the fans just to get over that hump of actually beating Manchester City, you know, at Wembley. And they, they don't I don't think they lose to Manchester City at Wembley, to be honest. But getting over that hump of beating, you know, Manchester City, Manchester City didn't put out, didn't play any kids. The only kid they played was Cole Palmer. They put a, you know, a, probably a as close to full strength squad as they could besides De Bruyne, who was injured. But De Bruyne is always injured. So you can't even really say that. So they were just missing De Bruyne. But Arsenal was missing Jesus. So, you know, it's just, it's it sort of tick for tack there. But the way Arsenal performed and stood up against City is is magnificent. I think it's going to be really indicative of the season. I think it's going to be a two-horse race between him or Arsenal and City in the Premier League. I think Liverpool will be decent. 
But that midfield is just not good enough for me. Even if they, they add Lavia, I don't think that midfield for Liverpool is good enough. I, I, I think they would finish top four, maybe. But I just don't see them compete with Manchester City and Arsenal over the course of the season. I get it. They don't have Champions League, but you know they, they still got to play. I think they still have Europe, if I'm not mistaken. They don't have Champions League, but I think they have Europa or Conference League, one of the two. Yeah, they, they, they have Europa. So they still have Europe that they have to play. So they, they don't have a free run at it like Spurs. Spurs don't have any Europe. You know, I expect them to be in the top six. Maybe not necessarily. Well, it depends on Kane. If they get rid of Kane, I expect them to be top eight. I, they wouldn't get top four, in my opinion. With Kane, they'll get top six. Without Kane, they'll be in the top eight, and they won't get top four. But Richarlison as a striker wouldn't be a bad shout for them anyway. They've got the striker there. They just need to sell on Kane and get better around him and bring in a, a young backup striker. That's what they need to do, in my opinion. If I was Tottenham, but they don't ever do the right thing. So, what else? What else? Yeah, for so for the season, it's going to be two-legged race between Arsenal and Manchester City. I predict Arsenal to win the Premier League. I'm going on record now saying it. And this, I just think, I have a feeling that either Holland or DeBron, City's going to have a key injury. And I think it's going to be Holland. Because I saw the betting odds for him being a leading striker, finishing with the most goals in Premier League. It wasn't as high as it should have been, which made me think, you know, I think Holland might might have an injury and not playing the Prem as much as he, he normally does. And they're short of light up front, you know, unless they make, they've been linked to Elise, but still, even with Elise, they're still light up front. You know, even with Alvarez, he's not going to, he's not going to give you as many goals as Holland gave him. You know, he'll, he'll be better with the link up play and, and pressing up front, but he's not nearly the outlet or finisher that Holland is. He just isn't. So I think Arsenal, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Arsenal win the Premier League this year. I think they beat City by six points, five points, five points, I'd say. That's that sounds crazy, but I think they'll beat City by five points this year, maybe ninety three to eighty eight, ninety three points. That Arsenal finish up with City, I send up end up with eighty eight. I'm gonna save this some bitch because I'm feeling really good about it. I should put some cheese on it to be honest. But that's what I'm predicting for the for the Premier League, Champions League. We'll get into that later on once the groups come out. All right, now onto another comp, cup competition: Nashville SC. Nashville SC beat Cincinnati on PKs. Couple days ago, and you know it was it was some some real Sean Dyche, Mourinho park the bus ball by Gary Smith that he played against Cincinnati, and I was here for it. You know that's that's just the the type of game that we have to play against a team like Cincinnati at Cincinnati. You just got to go up there, set up shop, you know, kick the ball out, waste some time, and just be real mischievous and and leave there with three points like we did. Well, win like we did. You know, we had to take it to penalties to do it. But it was an excellent performance by Nashville defensively. And, you know, it was just great job by Gary Smith and the setup of his team. And great job by Nashville. I see converting their penalties when they needed to. You know, Cincinnati, they didn't play as well as I thought they would have. And, you know, it's just Nashville stifled them. They stifled them defensively. They didn't really give up much. Uh, Cincinnati didn't have them that big of chances and that big of good chances. They had a couple good chances to filter their feet, but as soon as they filtered their feet, Nashville swarmed whoever was there and didn't really give them a shot at it. Really, really good performance by Nashville. Good job by Gary Smith setting the team up in the manner that he did and good job executing by the team. I'm eager to see what Nashville do Tuesday against Club America in the League Cup round of 16. Club America will be coming up to Nashville for the round of 16 bout, uh, bout against Nashville SC. 
hopefully, hopefully we can see the debut of Sam Surge. That's what I'm hoping. He's he started training with the team last week. I mean, fuck it, throw him in there. You know, at least give him 60 minutes. If he's not ready for 60, give him the last 30. I want to see Sam Surge against Club America make his home debut at Geodas. I want to see it. I want to see it. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting, interesting match between Club America. Not, not, not just the team and the club, but their fans. Their fans went crazy in Chicago last, last week. I saw a clip of them throwing beer bottles at a player and shit like that. The atmosphere is going to be insane. I want to, I'm trying to aim to get to that, get to that game. I need a couple things to fall time. Well, I got some responsibilities I got to take care of, uh, that, that night. But, and if I can get there, I'm going to be there. It's going to be an excellent match between club or club America and Nashville SC. And I'm expecting a Nashville SC win, man. I'm, that's the homer in me. I think we'll win 2-1 is what I'll say. And two goals by Mukhtar is what I'd say. Two goals by Mukhtar and to their one and Club America. And I think it'll be a really, really good match. And the atmosphere is going to be electric. We need Geodas packed out. And we need we just need it loud in there, man. We need it loud. All right, last topic. Last topic before we get out of here. Messi. This man, Leo Messi, the GOAT. The GOAT. I tuned in late. I tuned in around the second half, later, about early second half, about the 60th minute. They were down four to two. And I'm thinking, man, the fairy tale's over for Messi and the Inter Miami winning the League Cup. Wouldn't it be a, wouldn't it be amazing if if Nashville and Inter Miami played in the League Cup? A separate point. But I thought the I thought the fairy tale was over. Messi brings them back from the dead. It was an insane own goal for the third goal. I don't know. I guess a dude got excited. Messi just put so much beauty on that cross <laughs> that the FC Dallas player just like, I have to head this ball in the back of the net. It's like a magnet for Messi. That it was a, one of the worst own goals I've ever seen <laughs> from the FC Dallas. Messi crosses the ball in. FC Dallas defender just pounds it into the back of the net with his head like he meant to do it. I mean, it, it looked it looked pretty bad. I ain't going to lie. And, you know, I know the Apple money's coming in, but it, it looked pretty bad. So that gets uh, that gets Inter Miami to four three against FC Dallas. Then in the eighty fourth minute, Messi standing over a free kick. I think about from like twenty five yards out to the right of the right of the goal, peeks it over the wall. Bam! Top corner. Ain't a keeper in the world that saves it. And then Messi converts his penalty, and that Inter Miami ends up having an eighteen year old convert their penalty to win. Just an amazing story for Inter Miami and Messi, and it come it keeps going on. It keeps going on. Jordi Alba played. I think he got two assists. He was immense. Busquets played. Of course, he's Busquets. He was great. And but Messi really takes the cake. Scored his two goals and converted this penalty. Excellent play. I mean, I can't even say excellent player. He's just a goat, man. And just imagine if he was over in the MLS two or three years ago, how good he'd been. He's already scored in every, I think he scored in every match that he started and maybe every match that he's played. Every match that he started, he scored within the first 15 minutes. So, you know, this is Messi at 36, and I think we just need to appreciate his greatness, man. He's been an excellent, excellent addition to MLS, an excellent addition to Inter-Miami, and he needs to get a round of applause everywhere he goes because the man is the GOAT, and not many people are going to see a soccer player as good as Leo Messi in our lifetime if they're able to go see him in person. You know, I haven't been able to see him, but whenever they go to Nashville, I don't care what the price is, I'm going to, I'm going to see Leo Messi play. Hopefully it's in a league cup. I don't know if that league cup match will be at at Nashville. I have to look at that. Maybe I don't know where where it will be. I'm, I'm I'd imagine it'd be at a at a uh, 
you know, a separate venue, a neutral venue. Maybe Atlanta. That wouldn't be a bad that wouldn't be a bad shout. And I'd probably go to Atlanta to see that, to be honest. But, you know, it's his greatness, man, and the and the game of soccer and what he's done, you can't put a, a dollar figure on it, as Apple said. I mean, you just and the Apple CEO said, oh, it's been, a, it's, you know, the addition of Messi has had Apple TV go up tenfold or whatever. You know, it's, that's Messi, man. It's the Messi effect. They've got 10, damn near 10 million followers on Instagram. Inter Miami does now. So it's just Messi, man. People, people love to see greatness. And he does it week in, week out, every game he puts on a show. And he's just, he's just magical, man. One of the best players I've ever, the best player I've ever seen. And one of the best players of all time, in my opinion. Just magical. Magical, but yeah, man, that'll that'll round out the show. Appreciate y'all joining. Make sure y'all like and subscribe on YouTube. And if y'all listening on Spotify, give us a rating. Y'all listen on Amazon Music, listen on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star rating. Uh, share the podcast. That's the best way to support. Uh, like the video on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on Twitch. Give us a follow on Twitch, man. All the all the support is appreciated. And we thank y'all, man. man. Look out for the Exit One Show. That'll be out at you on YouTube at Exit One Show tomorrow. Um, TFTV. Do we have anything coming up? Yeah, watch along for the Titans game Saturday. So we'll be doing a watch along of the Titans game on Saturday. Make sure y'all tune in for that. It's gonna be a good time, man. You know, Titans. All the Titans content at TFTV is amazing, and y'all liking the videos sharing the videos and giving us all the support lets us give you even more content. So uh, a lot of stuff coming up for TFTV seasons coming in full swing. We didn't really talk much about the Titans. They wasn't much. I think they might've got the weekend. I don't know if they got the weekend off, but they didn't have any open practices. Nothing really happened, but watch along this Saturday. Can't wait for that. Excellent one show coming out tomorrow. Can't wait for that. Can't wait for y'all to see it. It was a hell of an episode. But once again, thank you everybody for joining. Make sure y'all like the video, subscribe and Just thank y'all, man. Appreciate it. Y'all be easy.